So like the video said there, we're working with RMM, Rosedale Mennonite Missions, in Bangkok. We've been there for about 10 years, and we're trying to do disciple-making. Uh, our goal is to see churches planted, uh, but we're not doing it in the maybe the most traditional way where we're trying to, to actually start and lead a church. What we really want to see is something that's reproducible, is led from the beginning by local people. And uh, so it takes, I think, a long time usually to see that get started. But we're working at that in Bangkok and uh, through connections that we've made there. The work is also extended into Laos. I'll say a little bit more about that later. And then I also have some connection with RMM's work in Bangladesh and a local team of people there. And what's happening there is really exciting as well. won't have much time to talk about that today. But we're working with a team. We've had short and long-term workers from RMM. And, uh, yeah, we enjoy living in, in Bangkok. It's an exciting place to live. We'll have a few pictures that go along with this. I'll try to remember to let you know when to change the slide. But... Uh, Bangkok's a very exciting place to live. There's about 15 million people that live in the metropolitan area. And uh, so there are many opportunities. And we're constantly asking ourselves and praying, seeking God's will for what should we be involved in. And uh, seeing opportunities, possibilities all around us. Of course, most of the people there are Thai. But we continue to discover more and more pockets of other groups of people. People from the surrounding countries Uh, other foreigners who are there. There are all kinds of people living in Bangkok and, of course, all kinds of opportunities for getting involved uh, and sharing the gospel, trying to help them in different ways. So we're going to talk to start off with this morning about a couple of those groups. Uh, And the first one is Cambodian uh, construction workers and their kids. And so Claire is going to say a little more about that. So Cambodia is a country right next to Thailand, but there are more jobs available in Thailand than in Cambodia. So many Cambodian people come to Thailand, especially to Bangkok, to the big city, to find work, and they usually end up working for construction companies. Um, Often they bring their whole families with them, including small children, and they will stay at the construction site while their parents are working so that both the mom and the dad can work full-time making apartment buildings in Bangkok. Um, So all over Bangkok there are these construction sites, and nearby... The workers will build temporary camps, mostly out of scrap wood and metal, like you'll see in a picture here. Um, And they just live there temporarily while they are working at the work site nearby. And then they'll tear it down and move and start again. For a while, there was a camp like this near our house, and we went and taught English to some kids there until the workers moved on and the camp was torn down. And it was just crazy to me to see that there are kids who live like this, and I couldn't imagine being a kid who moved that much and how unstable that would make my life seem. Um, There are thousands of Cambodian children who do live like this, and many of them don't have an opportunity to go to school. Um, One reason is because they can't speak Thai, they move around a lot, so it's hard to attend regularly, and um, some of their parents are in Thailand illegally, so that makes it hard as well. So a few years ago, some teachers from the international school where me and Silas go started looking for a way that they could help these kids. And then they met this Thai pastor named Pastor Vino, who had the same dream, and since then, they've been working together to help a group of um, Cambodian kids who live in our area of Bangkok. So Pastor Vino has opened up his church, and every day, as many as 40 kids come to the church to learn Thai and to learn about Jesus as well. Our family has been going just on Saturday mornings to help teach English a little bit, and while there, we have seen that God is really changing the lives of these kids. Um, They are learning to pray, they are learning to worship Jesus, and they are some of the sweetest and most well-behaved kids, even though they come from a very chaotic lifestyle. There's a big age range from 19-year-olds to babies, but they all work really well together with the older ones helping and teaching the younger ones. You can really see that the opportunities they are being given now by Pastor Vino and by the Thai Church are changing their lives. Um, For example, some of the older kids are already starting to talk about becoming pastors or missionaries because they want to share God's love that's been shown to them with others. I really enjoy going, and it makes me realize how fortunate I am and all that I have. And we're doing just a little bit to help these kids, but God is the one who's really working in them. It really puts my life into perspective when I see these kids, how they live, and um, their attitudes towards that. It would be great if you could keep this group of children in mind and pray for them. Um, One thing is that even for those who attend the church regularly, their lives are still pretty unstable. Um, There was a 12-year-old girl named Dok Mai, which means flower in Thai. 
recently moved back to Cambodia with her family, so the church doesn't have any contact with her anymore. So you can pray for her and others like her that they will stay safe, um, remember what they learned at the church, and that that will continue to make a difference in their lives. Also, the others around them will see that. You can also pray for Pastor Vino and his wife, Vicky, because they are giving a lot of their time and energy to these children, this group of kids, and to the Thai church as well. So you can pray that God will continue to provide for their needs and the needs of their ministry as well. Thanks, Claire. Another group of people that we've encountered recently are Pakistani Christian refugees. And if you follow, read stuff from Voice of the Martyrs or other agencies like that, you know, Pakistan is a country that has a lot of persecution against minority groups, including Christians. And so thousands of Pakistanis have ended up in Bangkok. Uh, They come there because it's one of the easiest places to get a tourist visa for, and there's also a United Nations uh, center there where they can apply for asylum and refugee status. But that's a very cumbersome and and long process. And so there there are thousands, maybe 6,000 Pakistani Christians who are living in Bangkok. Their visas have expired. They can't work legally. Uh, They have no hope of being resettled in Thailand. Thailand won't accept them or recognize them as as, uh, refugees or even asylum seekers. And so in the eyes of the Thai police, they're illegal and they're in danger of being arrested, put in a detention center. It's a very difficult situation and it's very difficult for us to know what in the world we could do to, to begin to address that problem. But we met one family and we have a picture of them and Silas will introduce them to you. So the kids are Cyril, Shafan, and Niham, and they um, <laughs> yeah, we've gotten to know them, and they uh, thank you. <laughs> so this, this family with the three little boys, the youngest was born in Bangkok. I think they've been there four years. Um, Their passports have been taken by somebody who was supposed to be helping them and took advantage of them. They're in Bangkok. They can't get a job. They're doing some work online. They have computer skills, and so they're they're doing what they can. Uh, But they've fled persecution in Pakistan. They were being physically attacked and threatened with lawsuits by uh, some Muslims who used to work for them. And it's a long story, but they're, they're stuck there. And so we're trying to, to be friends with them, uh, trying to, yeah, just kind of sh- do what we can to encourage them. The, the boys have to stay inside the house, except when they get in a van and go to school. Um, they are able to go to an international Indian school, uh, but their funding for that is running out, so you can pray about that. Uh, but they, they just live a very sort of fearful life. They try to keep their boys quiet, keep them inside the house, and these are three very energetic and rambunctious boys. It's not an easy task. Um, but yeah, pray for them. They're, what they're hoping to do is to get asylum in Canada, and there is a potential process where they could be sponsored by a church or by a group in Canada and so they're working at that, and they've got other people who are helping them, and we're praying that this will, will come through. Uh, but they've been waiting a long time, and uh, they're continuing to wait for that. So this, we wanted to share these two just as a way of, of giving you an idea of the kinds of things that we're encountering, the kinds of opportunities, and uh, also problems that we see. You know, in all of these situations, it can be very difficult to know how to help uh, to what extent can we get involved? Uh, what is the best way that we can encourage them? But we feel like that's, you know, that's a reason God has us in Bangkok, to be open to all of these people and to look for opportunities where we can connect and encourage something that's already happening, like with the pastor who's helping the Cambodian kids. We can add a little bit to that and encourage what he's doing and, and see that kind of local, locally rooted thing grow and, and flourish. So pray for these kids. Um, Pray that we would know how to help them. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're not here to do fundraising for any of this, but if, if you feel God asking you to get involved in another way, talk to us afterwards. We can, can talk to you more about that. So thanks, Claire and Silas. You can sit down if you want. Uh, 
I want to read a very short Bible passage from Matthew chapter 13. These are two of the shortest parables I think that Jesus told. Uh, Being in Thailand has made me really appreciate the parables of Jesus, especially the ones that talk about the kingdom of heaven, uh, because they put a lot of emphasis on God's power. And often these parables describe something that starts out seeming very small, very insignificant, and, uh, but it talks about growth, and it talks about maturity, and, and you see a lot of the power of God in these parables. And that's very encouraging to us when we're working in a place that can feel kind of overwhelming. So I'll read this, tell a couple more stories from Thailand, hopefully make some applications for our lives as well, and uh, we'll try to, to keep the sermon as short as these parables are. So Matthew chapter 13 The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So Candace is going to tell a story about a woman that she's met where we see some application from these uh, parables. So I was really fortunate uh, recently to meet someone who was actively looking for the treasure that this scripture is talking about. Um, It was very special to me because, number one, there aren't too many people in Bangkok that are seeking, um, that we've met. And I had been praying for more spiritual fruit in my own life and for the chance to have a Bible study, a one-on-one Bible study with someone. So Lulu from Taiwan called me out of the blue and asked to study English with me one day. So um, teaching ESL to private students is my kind of day job. So we met together and decided when to meet and all of that. And at the end, um, she totally surprised me by saying, do you know God? And I want to learn about God. And I was completely blown away because it was exactly what I had been praying for. Um, She said one time, a long time ago, a Malaysian friend had shared the gospel with her. Um, But at that time, she wasn't seeking, she wasn't ready. Um, But she, she kept it in her mind. And now she was ready to learn, and she wanted to teach her daughters about Jesus, um, from knowing basically zero. (laughs) So it was very exciting. We started attending um, an international church together and having Bible study every week. Um, And it's been really, really exciting to see the Bible through her eyes, they're completely fresh um, eyes. Um, All the stories and teachings are brand new to her. Um, She had no idea how the Bible was even organized or anything about it. Um, So at Christmas, for example, we were studying the you know, the birth of Jesus. For the first time, she noticed how the shepherds needed to actually see Jesus before they went and shared about him with others um, and recognized that that is where she's at in her life, is going, going to find Jesus and learn about him. Um, at Easter, we studied Jesus' death and resurrection, um, and she noticed that um, Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, um, made provision for his mother, that, she, that he looked down and um, made the arrangement with John to care for her. And that's a very Asian value, to care for your parents and respect them in that way. Um, so that was, that was really meaningful to her. Um, so just seeing that God's word is living and active and changing um, people and has been really, really exciting for me. Um, and I've learned a lot from Lulu. Um, She has been uh, teaching her daughters, Journey and Alita, about Jesus. We gave her the Jesus Storybook Bible, and the kids have torn through it. They've taken it to school, reading it. Um, So we're we're really, really thankful that um, those two are also coming to know Jesus and praying before bed every night and getting excited. Um, So when you find a treasure, what is your primary emotion? How do you feel when you find a treasure? I think you feel joy is the main thing you feel. And one thing I've learned from Lulu is that the joy of a Christian is different from um, the joy of somebody who doesn't have Jesus. I think a person without Jesus can have happiness in their life, but something about the deep, satisfying joy of the Lord um, has been completely new for Lulu. Um, After we pray together at the end of our Bible study, she is just glowing and beaming and full of joy. And she tells me she's never experienced that in her life before. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, so I thank you for praying for Lulu and other seekers like her that we could continue to find people that are seeking the kingdom in this way. And I'll be praying for you too, that you can find people in your community here that are also seeking. Um, and yeah, thank you for your, your prayers for her. Thanks. So yeah, it's, I think... Lulu was a great example of the truth that Jesus is talking about in this parable of people seeking for something uh, 
and recognizing it when they find it. I was wondering why Jesus told two parables back-to-back like this that were so similar. And I don't know, but I think maybe one reason is we see two different kinds of seeking. There's the man in the field looking. We don't know what he's doing. He's in the field, and he finds the treasure. And then there's the man looking for pearls. And so, like Candace was talking about, there are some people who are actively seeking spiritual truth. They know that they're lacking something, and they go and and look for it. But like Candace said, we don't see that very often in Bangkok. We don't have many people coming up to us and asking to, you know, to learn more about what we believe or anything like that. They assume that we're Christian because we have white skin, and they would say, well, that's your way of being good, and Buddhism is my way of being good, and it's all the same. The goal is being good, so, you know, they don't need anything uh, more, or any, don't want anything from us uh, in the way that they're thinking. But in the parable of the man that's in the field, Uh, We see someone who maybe wasn't looking for treasure. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say why he was out in that field. Maybe he had his metal detector and he was looking for treasure. I don't know. Maybe he was thinking about buying a field and he was out there to check it out. But whatever the reason, when he found this treasure that was hidden, that most people had walked past and hadn't seen, when he saw it, he recognized that it was valuable and then he went and sold everything in order to possess it. Matthew Henry, writing about this, pointed out that you know, if we, we have to look beneath the surface. If we just take things at face value, then we're going to miss the secret of the kingdom. Uh, there's something about the kingdom of heaven that, that has hidden truth, and we have to look for it. We have to look beneath the surface of this world if we're going to find it. And we certainly see that in Thailand. If we just take Thailand at face value... It looks like nothing is happening. It looks like God's kingdom doesn't have much of a chance of growing there, of taking root there. It's a challenge sometimes to believe that this treasure is actually hidden right there beneath the surface and people can find it and have their lives changed. Uh, But this parable, I think, tells us that it is. The treasure is there and there will be people who will find it. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. Not everyone sees it. Only those who seek, who look beneath the surface, like Matthew Henry was saying. And, of course, there are many factors that keep people from looking, that keep people from seeing. In Thailand, it would be this combination of Buddhism and animism, the spirit worship. In Bangkok, we also see a lot of materialism. Uh, Bangkok's a fairly wealthy city. And uh, a lot of people have what they need, or they, they think they do when it comes to a nice car, a nice apartment going out to eat at a restaurant, whatever. This combination is, makes it very difficult uh, to think about how you would share the good news or present it in a way that, that would make people curious, that would make people want to come. And I think you guys would face many of those same uh, obstacles or roadblocks here probably in thinking about sharing about the good news with your neighbor who has no Christian background or no apparent interest. There are things that, that you know, just keep people from seeing, that keep people from seeking. Candace talked about her English student. I, have, I do a little bit of English teaching as well, not as much as Candace, but I have a student, uh, a man named B, who's 30 years old probably, and he's a great guy. He's got a, a wife and a little son, and they just, they're a really neat family. They have a much more affectionate and respectful relationship than many Thai people do, and uh, they're just a, a really, a really neat family, and he knows that I'm a Christian, but he's not expressed any curiosity or interest in that, and they're fairly serious uh, Buddhists. They, he told me one time that they were having trouble getting pregnant, and so they went to a certain temple that is supposed to you know, have the power to, to help women get pregnant. They went, and they prayed to some specific spirit, and his wife got pregnant, and now they have a four-year-old son, and so every year they take him back to that temple and they offer things to the Spirit as a thanksgiving for what the Spirit did for them. He just also recently told me they do, they do something similar for his car. He, you know, he has a car that he really likes, and so once a year they have a special ceremony where they call on the spirits to provide protection for his car and keep them safe as they drive. And so at least on the surface, this is working for him. And, and, and you know, he's, he's got what he needs. He's not, he's not seeking. And 
for me to try to share with him is, is very difficult to get beyond that because he's not asking questions. He's not looking for treasure, at least he doesn't know that he is. Um, you know, there'd be many Thai people who would be happy to sort of add Jesus as another layer of protection, you know, if they thought, well, if he can do something for me, um, you know, sure, I'll, they would say a prayer to Jesus. We got a picture here of a guy with a bunch of amulets, sort of represents the, the Thai approach to religion. They'd be happy to add something extra. We don't see many people that look like this. Every now and then I'll see a guy that's all loaded down like this. But many Thai people would wear one or two of these amulets. And it's, it's a, a way of having spiritual protection. Um, but this, you know, the, the guy putting on a whole bunch sort of illustrates the Thai approach to it. They're very pragmatic. If something works, sure, I'll, I'll try that. But the idea of selling everything they have, of giving up, everything else in order to follow Jesus, that's where it would get really difficult for many people. And we see that truth coming through in these parables. In both of the parables, the person who found the treasure had to go and sell everything they had in order to to have the treasure. Now, of course, we're not saying in this, Jesus isn't saying that we buy our way into the kingdom, that we have to give up a certain amount of things, and then we get salvation or something like that. But I think he is saying we can't have the kingdom. We can't get into the kingdom without sacrifice. We can't just say, yes, I'll take this treasure and add it to all my other treasures and and just fit it into my my current set of priorities and go on like I did before. Earlier I mentioned Laos, and there we have seen greater openness. And this is, again, something that we did not plan, but through God bringing people uh, to us, we met a young man named Lon. We got a picture of him with a the guy with the water buffalo. He came to Bangkok to work, and he was in a very difficult circumstance. His life was falling apart, his marriage was ending, and he was in debt. And so he was seeking. He reached the, the end of his own resources. His other beliefs, whatever he believed before about Buddhism and spirits, was not working for him. And so he was, was desperately seeking for something. And through a friend, he met us, and I gave him a Bible. And uh, don't have time to tell his whole story, but it's just a tremendous example of how when someone finds the treasure, when they're seeking, when they recognize the value of it, and they give up everything else to take it, uh, it just changed his life. And, and he immediately began to tell other people. And now he's gone back to Laos and has put together a team of seven or eight other guys, and together they're working on how can they go out into the surrounding villages, how can they share the gospel, and they're following up with new believers, and they're baptizing people, and it's really exciting. It's what we want to see happen in Bangkok. We haven't seen it yet, and I don't know why it's happening in Laos and not happening in Bangkok, but I think maybe one reason is because in Laos there's a lot of economic hardship, and there are, there's government restriction on religion. I mean, the Christians there are persecuted. They, they suffer. They have to make sacrifices in order to, to participate in God's kingdom in Laos. And I think that those hardships, you know, they make it easier in a way. Make it, that's, I don't understand that. But it's, it's, we see the kingdom growing more rapidly and more naturally in Laos than we do in Bangkok right now. And it's because of, of Lan and other guys like him who have seen this treasure and they, they give up everything in order to have it. So all of that team, when I'm talking with them, it's just amazing to hear their stories of how they came to faith. And it does all involve some kind of hardship and desperation. One guy had a son who was bitten by a snake and he was going to die and then Christians prayed for him. They had family problems, they have spirit possession, all of this stuff that leads to that desperation where their eyes are opened and they see the value of the treasure. They, Lon was just telling me a couple of weeks ago that they went on another one of these trips where they traveled by motorcycle out into a village. And uh, you can flip through the next couple of pictures. Uh, they met, a, or people brought a woman to them laying on this stretcher. And they prayed for her, and she was healed, and she got up and was able to walk around and then asked to be baptized. And so the next morning they baptized her. And it's just things like that that we're seeing happen 
in Laos that God is doing. I always tell Lon, or Lon says, yeah, it's just like what I see in the Bible. And, you know, I tell him, well, you're seeing things that I've not seen. Uh, but it's, it's great to have a, a relationship with them and for us to be able to, again, do a small thing to encourage them and support them and try to mentor them as they do this work and you know, as they participate in God's work. So that would be my final question, looking at these parables. What is our role in Thailand and here? I really like the simplicity of these parables because it reminds us that the power comes from God. Uh, You know, in this parable, what is there? There's a treasure and there's a a person who finds it and recognizes the the value and then their life is changed because of that. Uh, There's no middleman in there. And so... God is the one who's changing lives. The, the kingdom is, is powerful enough that people can encounter it and give up what they have to obtain it, and their lives will never be the same. So we're not salespeople. We're not someone who's selling these pearls and trying to talk someone into you know, believing that this is a really valuable pearl and you should give up everything you have in order to get it. We're not selling metal detectors or treasure maps and saying there's a treasure out there in that field and this is, you know, go here, go here and find it. Um, The power of the treasure, of the kingdom, is such it doesn't need any intermediaries. But what do we do? I mean, obviously we're not saying, well, then we just sit back and hope that more people find the treasure. I think our role as, as believers, as members of God's kingdom, as we live in a way that demonstrates the power of that kingdom. And so, of course, that's what we try to do in Bangkok, and the same thing would apply in Sussex County, Delaware. Does our lifestyle, does the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we interact with people, does it demonstrate that we've sold everything in order to have the treasure of the kingdom and that it's changed our lives? You know, I think as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should be living in a way that doesn't quite make sense to the people around us. If the non-Christians around us can look at our lives and, and say, yeah, everything they do makes sense. You know, they do everything just like I do. Their priorities seem to be the same as mine, vacations and nice houses and whatever. You know, if, if everything about our lives makes sense to the people who around us who don't have Jesus, then I, I think we're probably doing something wrong. Um, no one's going to be impressed by the power of the kingdom of God if we're living just the same way that they're living without Jesus. So we can, we can make sure that we're living as if we have got this treasure that was worth giving up everything in order to obtain. And we encourage those who are seeking, those new believers who have found the kingdom, um, you know, it's, it's probably easier for us to think that way in Bangkok than it is here. You know, we, I know it's, it's, it can be harder to sort of see that distinction maybe when you're not officially a missionary or whatever, but it's the same whether we're there or whether we're here. Something we talk a lot about in cross-cultural work is finding a person of peace. And this is from Luke 10, where Jesus sent out the 72, and he said, you know, don't take anything with you. Go to these villages. Tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, look for, for someone, of, a person of peace, who will welcome you into their home, who will show an interest in your message, and relate to them, work through them, stay at their house. And uh, so it's the idea that God has already prepared people in advance and uh, Lon would be a great example of that. You know, we never would have looked at him and said, oh, yeah, this is the guy we want to choose and appoint him to be the leader. And we had no idea. He was uneducated, quiet, sad guy, but his life was changed. And I think there's people like that everywhere, that God has prepared them. God has chosen certain people in every group to be the, the key people, to be the first ones to respond, to be the ones who then can influence other people, who will be willing to share with other people. And that's the way that the church can grow in Thailand and I, and I think here as well. We look for those key people, those people of peace, and uh, we focus on sharing with them and building them up so that they can lead 
their circle uh, to come to know Jesus as well. I've lost my last page here somewhere. Um, David Watson writes about this. He's a guy that writes a lot about disciple-making movements. And uh, he writes about this, the person of peace idea. And he said, what we need to do is live a conspicuously spiritual life. And then the person of peace will find you. And so that's something I'm thinking a lot about. What does that mean for me in Bangkok to live a conspicuously spiritual life? Um, You know, there'd be a lot of different ways you could interpret that or go about it. But think about that in your context. How can you be conspicuously spiritual? Not obnoxiously spiritual, but conspicuously spiritual. Live that way, and the people who are seeking, they will find you. And I think then what we need to do is listen really closely and watch really closely and see who is asking questions that can lead to spiritual conversations. Who's paying attention? And uh, trust that, that God is working in them and that God is calling us to, to relate to them in a way that will lead to them coming to Christ. Again, in this parable, the kingdom is something that's hidden. Most people don't immediately recognize its value. But it is a treasure, and it is there. It's, it might be hidden under the surface, but it's there, and people will find it. And so our job, I think, is to, to be looking for those people who are close to finding the treasure, looking for those people who are questioning, and be really quick to respond to them. We can't take responsibility or feel the responsibility of talking everyone we meet into becoming a believer. That's not going to happen. That's not the way Jesus describes it here. But we have faith that the treasure is there, and that, that God is at work. In conclusion, I want to just quickly recommend an article that was in the Beacon. I don't know if you hand these out here, or if not, it's available online. Uh, Dan Byler's a, a guy that some of you may have heard of. He's been a missionary with RMM for years and years, and we worked with him in Thailand for quite a while. He's been, uh, sort of semi-retired, living in Columbus, Ohio now. But he wrote an article in the Beacon where he talks about the church in America and makes some proposals for how, how the church here in America could adopt some of the strategies or some of the ways of thinking that we, we use in cross-cultural settings and uh, apply that here. So I'd encourage you to, to read that if you haven't. Uh, see if you can find that. He talks about how you know, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and, and how Dan and his experience has seen that the laborers come from the harvest field, uh, that the, it's not just the job of outsiders to you know, send more and more and more workers, but what happens when the gospel comes into a place is that local people take ownership, and then they're the ones who are the leaders and who catalyze this, the spread of the gospel. So he says, you know, we should keep doing church planting like we've been doing here in North America, but God may be calling some of us, calling some of you, to maybe go outside of the comfort of our churches and to sort of think in a different way. And instead of just attracting people to our churches, we're taking the gospel to them or we're doing what we can to, to make them feel comfortable and to see who God has already called among them and, and see what will start there, uh, not just thinking about inside of our churches. So, yeah, check that out if you can. Appreciate your prayers. Some of you have already told us this morning that you pray for us, and that really means a lot. We you know, feel very inadequate in many ways to do this work, and uh, it can be very overwhelming. Uh, but we are really grateful for the privilege of, of working in this way, for seeing what God has done, and it really means a lot to know that there's a, a much broader group who is also involved in this through prayer because it's going to take a lot of prayer and it's going to take a lot of patience and a lot of faith to see uh, God continue to, to change lives in Bangkok. I don't know how you want to end, Tim. We didn't really discuss this. Um, we can answer a couple questions if there's time or pray and close. Uh, let's do a few questions. Then I would like to have some people from the congregation gather around your family and pray for you guys. And then I think Jen has some benediction stuff, right? Okay, yeah. Is there any, are there any questions out here? Where is um, Thailand in relation to Laos? Is it 
Thailand and Laos are neighboring countries. So Thailand has about 68 million people. I forget the size. It's something like the size of Wyoming, maybe. And then Laos is much smaller, only about 6 million people to the, to the north. Close, yeah. So if I go, I go and visit Lan in Laos, I ride an overnight train to get there, or you can fly and take a van. It takes six hours or something altogether. Yeah, so that's close. There's a lot of back and forth. Yeah, yeah. I don't know a lot about it. Um, <laughs> the sorry. The, <clears throat> yeah. What the way I understand it is, the Canadian government gives visas visa slots to religious organizations or other civic organizations who raise a certain amount of money and agree to sponsor a family. And I don't know what, what all that involves. Now, this particular family, they have been put in touch with a church that said, yes, we will raise the money. And they tried to get a visa slot, and this year we're not able to. But they've also now met a connected with another guy who said, well, my organization has slots, but we don't have money. So right now they're waiting for these two groups to talk and hopefully work out a deal. But it would be, yeah, I mean, if those of you who have Canadian connections, it's something we can't do in the United States. The U.S. government doesn't provide visas this way. But Canadian churches, there is a way for them to raise money and apply. And I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of work and a big commitment, but churches in Canada can do it. Vietnam is, yeah, on the other side of Laos, close by. Yeah, sorry, we should have put a map up. I didn't think about that. Yeah, right. What about culture shock and your kids coming back? Coming back? Claire, have you felt culture shock coming back to America? What's different? (laughs) Yeah, coming back. I mean, it's kind of like... They're on vacation here. They're with their cousins. They're having a great time. But yeah, I'm trying to remember now. It seems very uh, empty. There's a lot of open space. Remember that when they were younger? We were, that was in Ohio. We were driving. Like, we haven't seen any people. There's farms and fields, and they're not used to that. Yes, that is. And uh, yeah, I didn't mention this. We have teammates who have come to Thailand about a year and a half ago, and they're going to be working more specifically focused on that. So yeah, if you follow the... Hey, there we go. If you follow RMM's news, you'll see more about them. But they're working on starting some children's homes uh, that will hopefully be able to help kids that have been affected by that. And uh, so yeah, again, we're... That's another one of those things that we always ask, you know, what can we do? Candace has done some volunteering with a couple of different agencies and teaching English to women as a way of sort of helping to build their skills and give them other, other possibilities. But. Are there churches, are there Christian churches that, that, that are in Bangkok? Yes, there are. Yeah, there have been, been missionaries in Thailand for 150 years, and it's, the country is open um, so in some ways, you know, question, well, are we still needed there? But less than 1% or 2% of the population is Christian. Uh, there is a traditional church, and in many ways they're doing a great thing. I think what we would see is there's also a lot of room for some other approaches. And so what we're trying to do is something a lot simpler and more reproducible that can go to Laos, that can go to Cambodia, not be tied just to a, a building. And... Yeah, again, people, the churches that are there, I think one of the weaknesses is it hasn't done much to discourage the idea that Christianity is foreign. Because you could go into a, a Thai church and you would know exactly what's happening. You know, it, it would be in Thai, but you would recognize some of the songs. You, they, it's, it looks just like an American church, and, and I think that's a problem. There needs to be other, yeah, there needs to be other models as well. Can I ask you? 
Oh, you're secure. We feel very secure. It's a big city. There's all kinds of problems, of course, but we feel safe in Bangkok. And yeah, it's Thai people are very friendly. Uh, we don't feel like we're in any any kind of danger there. The the people in Laos need to be a lot more careful. I mean, they're not foreigners. They could kick us out and not give us a visa. But the guys that are working in Laos, they do need to be a little more careful. They they've been put in jail before and stuff like that. Culturally speaking, you. You mentioned one of the families that there was more affection than you were Yeah. Seeing. How would you describe the affection level, the warmth level of a Thai family normally? You don't see much uh, affection. I mean, they don't show physical affection at all in public. Um, and yeah, marriages, I mean, that's a, it's a huge problem in Thailand. Um, I mean, we would see there's a lot of problems with the men. It's very common to have a couple of unofficial wives and mistresses and just sort of assumed and expected. Um, and I don't know, I mean, the, yeah, the roots of all of that, it doesn't seem to be very Buddhist either, but it's just the way that it is. No, no. Um, but yeah, the family, we would, yeah, I think family relationships tend to be pretty strained and there's still some arranged marriage, so that might be part of it. I mean, there's not Husbands and wives don't necessarily get married because they love each other. Uh, there's some economic things that are factors in that. I had more missionary questions too. Well, Can I ask an incarnational attractional? Let, let me have this. Sure. Okay, so in missiology, we talk about the difference between an attractional church, right? We have a sacred secular split. Like this is here. This is holy ground in here, but out there it's secular. And then I'm a clergy, so I'm very spiritual, but the rest of you are just normal people. And so then, like, evangelism becomes getting people out there to cross a line and join us in what we're doing in here, as opposed to what you're doing, which is incarnational, where, yeah, that's the goal, right? Where Jesus leaves heaven and he becomes one of us. So your goal is to leave Western culture and become Thai and live among them. And so you're not trying to get enough money from them to get a building so you can hire professional clergy and then invite people to a thing, right? right? And so when we talk about being culturally sensitive and our people then immediately, Western Christians, we immediately start to think about Sunday morning in the year. What can we do with our building to make it more accessible to secular people? Or what can we do with the changing of the music? Or maybe we should do away with the welcome because that makes people uncomfortable. And so all of our focus is still on one hour a week inside of a building. which is And the building is totally unnecessary for the gospel because church is people, right? I, this is a long preface to a short question. So how do we get into the same mindset that I see you guys are trying to do, which is relationship house-to-house focused and not about buildings and budgets and, yeah. Well, I would encourage you to read Dan's article again. Let me just read part of what he wrote. Um, He said, he's talking about what you are just saying about the changes you need to make. This kind of sacrifice we expect of overseas workers, but we may not think it is necessary to reach the unreached among us. But I am convinced that to reach the lost, we need to sacrifice the routine of our churches to experience Christ in settings uncomfortable to us at first, but comfortable to the people we are called to reach. Who among us is willing to make this sacrifice? Now, he doesn't give specifics. And he, I mean, he or I certainly would be saying that churches shouldn't exist anymore. But yeah, I, I think each person would have to sort of figure that out. But to because this is our safe place, right? I think one thing is if you if you experience what Candace was talking about, studying the Bible with someone who's new to the faith, that is really exciting. And if you do that, and if you are being spiritually fed through that, and seeing how that relationship can teach you about God and how God can speak to you through that, then you know, you'll see that as equally val- valuable as being here on a Sunday morning. And you need both. I mean, both are important. Yes. Um, but this isn't missions. This is worship. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
it's a it's important. But that's those are still programs, and we're talking about a lifestyle. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? We're not talking about a program. Anyway, uh, one more. What is conspicuous? What is conspicuous? Sorry, it's a, voca- like a vocabulary word of the day. What does it mean? Well, I think you can see it. It's obvious, yeah. I thought I was probably not the only person saying Definition, please. I think it's going to be something that God is going to show each one individually. Right. And so, therefore, and then the idea of the one person that wife talked about who came to her and stuff like that. And so I'm thinking, for each one of us, there may be one person out there that God yeah. has called us mm-hmm. to receive that pearl that you have to give them. And so if we just individually, one at a time, took this kind of an attitude. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think you're right. And I think, yeah, being conspicuously spiritual is going to look different for each person. And I mean... For me, I'm introverted. I'm. It'd be very hard for me to be very like aggressive in sharing about my faith with someone that I've just met. But I think being very quick to thank God for good things that have happened in our lives. Um, you know, offering, you know, telling people we're going to pray for them if they share something with us, uh, some kind of need. But yeah, I think being thank, showing our thanks to God, I think is is a really important part of of living like that. You know. Yeah, and yes, being prepared. Right. <laughs> because yeah, you have to be ready. If you can't think you know, an hour later, oh yeah, I could have said this. I could have prayed for them. So you got to practice and be prepared to just do it and. It'll be a little scary and uncomfortable. Expect it. Good word. Let's come down here now for the prayer time. People who are feeling like you want to come up here and pray for Tom Dennis and their family, go ahead and come on up. I'll take that. Thank you. Lord, we welcome you in this place. We welcome you to this spot and this time. Thank you for being present and in us. Lord, thank you for the masks. Thank you for what they're doing, their heart. Lord, we pray about a culture here in this church that is stirred to go outward. Thank you for bringing us a model to look upon. That just as you are a person that we can see and touch, Lord, they are people we can see and touch. So we come to touch and send. We come to touch and bless. We come to touch and see. Lord, may the parable become more real, as well as the others, to love those that aren't quite kind, to share your goodness more with the the people that they cross, that pass by. Lord, thank you for the kids. Thank you for the schools and the pastors. Thank you for the late night travels to other countries. Um, Father, in a strange way, thank you for the oppression that somehow makes your kingdom grow. Spirit, we ask that you stir in them ever more, increasing to abundance, that it is quite suspicious, quite evident, quite obvious that they have come in contact with a great, great being. Thank you for the Mass, Lord. Father, grant them courage for all the 
Grant them courage for all the daily tasks of where you are present and evident through them. And whether they feel adequate for what they face or not, that you are greater and that you are good and that you've positioned them for that moment. And so let your grace be abundant for them, whether it's at school or at home or traveling or meeting one-on-one or whatever unexpected things they face, that your grace is evident and your grace is sufficient for those moments and they know that you have placed them there and so you are enough for them in that moment. And I pray that as a body right here in Bridgeville and Seaford, we would be learning those lessons too. That every day you can speak and every day you can guide and give us what we need and give us courage and give us grace. I thank you for um, their willingness to go and to into an unnatural place and to be like you there. And so whatever their needs are, I ask that you would meet them. And whatever um, challenges they face, that you would give them a roadway through it. Um, yeah. Thank you for these friends. Let this be a place when they come home that they know they can draw some fresh water from. Thank you for putting them here with us this morning. God, I pray for encouragement when it seems that the fruit is not as evident as they would like it to be. I pray for a complete freedom in their hearts that the affirmation of Abba, your affirmation is on them, your affirmation is on their parenting, your affirmation is on their their friendship building. Um, I pray for no stress over fundraising. I thank you for a, a wonderful supportive structure uh, at RMM. <clears throat> I thank you, God, for encouragers that send them Facebook messages and texts or whatever it is that they get. And I, I ask for more of that, Father, that there be people who you remind and pray for them that in the middle of the night here, which would... might be when they need it over there. And I'm asking God for uh, rich and satisfying connections relationship-wise that they would not feel alone or lonely in the work, uh, but rather that the sacrifices they're making would be rewarded with new relationships. We pray in Jesus' name all these things and for the advance of the praise of Jesus, the name of Jesus. Um, amen. 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 Amen.